What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, baby. Hello, my love. This is it. Another week. <laughs> Here we are. Another, another week of podding in the world of Turn Me On podcast. Um, I'm happy to be here today. Did you get a haircut? I'm happy to be here. Your hair looks I good. I did. Oh, fuck off. It's just, I don't what? mean to you, fuck off. I mean my hair. I I wanted it. I don't know what I'm doing. I think I always go to the hair therapist <laughs> hoping for a total transformation. But, you know, I cut my hair short because because I don't like to wash it. Mm-hmm. And it's easier not to wash when it's short. Mm-hmm. But then I forgot that it's really high maintenance when it's short. Like when it's long, you can like twist it up, tie it up on top of your head, mm-hmm. get it off your face, no problem. And... um when it's short, it's just like, that's what you're stuck with. There's just no up. There's no down. There's anyway, it's playing a little bit of, of a funk on my confidence. Well, I, I, this is meant to be a compliment. Uh, it's, you got some like anime vibes going on. I like it. 
Yeah. Well, you know what? It's kind of, it's kind of a, like when I look back on like my nineties, late high school haircut, it's very similar. It's like Ooh. that sort of pixie cut, Yeah. but it's not quite pixie enough. That's why I'm thinking I might go back and see if she'll, you know how they say like, if you need anything fixed up and the, just let me know and swing on by. I think I might go and actually like take them up on that. Go a little shorter. Right. Yeah. What, what was that yeah. music video from back in the nineties? Um, Nothing's fine. I'm torn. Natalie uh, and Brulia. No, not Natalie and Brulia, but that's, but <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I was thinking more and more European. It's like, it's this, it's this woman who's like running. She's just running through the streets, running away from someone. The movie. Oh, was that a movie? Run, Lola, run. Yeah, Run Lola Run. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. not a music video. It's a yeah. full length film. What's that? It's fucking, an amazing film. What is that movie about again? I, I have such vague memories of that. It's a very like sliding doors type of situation where um, the same sequence. It, so I shouldn't say sliding doors because it's nothing like that movie, but it's the same sequence repeats itself, but with little variations that make the whole story play out completely differently. It's a great film. And it's really funny that you say that because when I. When I, so that movie reminds me so much of my dear departed sister who, um, because she had that same flaming red dyed hair. Right. And uh, that, that the main character has in Run Lola Run. And she also has that sort of punky 90s style, like the baggy pants, like fitted sort of crop top. Yeah. um, That was so much like my sister Shay that I think. I think cutting my hair the first time I like I really went for it, cut my hair short, dyed it also flaming red was just after my sister passed away. And I think I was trying to embody her, but that film was so I've watched it so many times just because I don't know why it just reminds me of her so much, but um, you watch it. If you haven't seen it, it's a a great movie. I've seen it. I just don't remember it, but your haircut is, I just thought of that movie for some reason. So anyway, I I think, I think it's a good haircut. I think it looks really great on you. And I think that if you want to go back and get more taken off, go for it. But right now you're rocking it. And I think it's great. And if folks, if you want to see this haircut and if you want to leave a comment about what you think her hair looks like, you can go to patreon.com slash termion where double two times you could support the podcast by a supporting and boosting Bridie's confidence and B giving us (laughs) your money. Uh, yeah. cool. Sweet. I, I always feel really great when I get a haircut. Um, and, uh, so I, I just got my, I, this is, this is totally, we, we are not going anywhere with this podcast right now. This body is totally, grooming. Yeah. Yeah. We're just, yeah, sure. Let's talk about body grooming. Um, I, uh, whenever I get a haircut, I, my confidence really like it's, it's a good, it's a good booster for my confidence. And, uh, I, I also have noticed that like my, and this probably isn't a good thing. I mean, it's, it's not good nor bad, although it is objectively bad for my wallet, but I also get uh good confidence boosts after, um, tattoo sessions with my tattoo artist, oh, Alex. Yeah. And I just yeah. finished my entire back piece. So I've got this big fucking full, like, like full back from top to ass, fucking mural of a bunch of UFOs and shit. And, uh, and it's fucking crazy and I love it. And finishing the tattoo, I, you know, 
I really like I'm I can't wait to I can't wait for it to be summer. I can't wait to show it off. Like it's it's this like piece mm-hmm. of art that I really love and I know is I know that it's so batshit bananas that this thing is now on my back forever that it's it's going to like spark a lot of conversations and I'm sure conversations when I'm not around of people going like that's fucking crazy that that guy has that tattoo yeah. on him or whatever but and which I love but there's like a confidence too that like I don't know what it is <clears throat> I don't know if it's since I've turned 30 actually you know what since I had that really big surgery in 2017 where they went in and like fucked around with my guts yeah I've had some like pretty um I haven't really talked about this very much but I've had some like low key body confidence issues. Like I just don't it not because I don't like the way my body looks cuz my body really doesn't look any fucking different than it has for my entire adult life. It's just that it doesn't feel great. Like I don't feel as I don't feel as like capable in my body as I used to and so it's taken a big hit on my my sexual confidence, my like just confidence overall, like just my ability to feel confident. <clears throat> and, um, and so I've been noticing like in the summer times, like feeling weird about take like feeling weird about taking off my shirt at the beach or like, just not just like, I don't want to be seen and mm. getting this giant thing on my back has totally like almost washed that away where I'm like, I just, I want it out. I want it. I like, I want to be, I want, I want the piece to be, I don't want to be seen. I want the art to be seen. Mm. And I'm really excited about going into the, into the summer feeling that like it's the first, I feel like the first summer I'm like in, in a while where I'm like, Oh, I can't wait to like go to the beach and just flaunt my body. (laughs) And then, and then (laughs) I, and then, so how to link that into haircuts. I, so my artist, he finished this tattoo the last time I was in there but we weren't sure if he was going to finish or not. So I had a second, I had another booking booked a couple months from now in like, uh, I think it's in, um, June, like first week of June, just in case he didn't finish it this time, but he did. And so he was like, do you want to keep that booking or do you want to just like, let it, let it go? I was like, well, let's keep it just in case, you know, maybe there's some like stuff. I just want to want you to randomly throw on, finish my sleeve or whatever. And he was like, okay. And now I'm thinking, Last time, I, last, time I, last time I got my hair cut, I had my barber. He was like, do you want to go down to the skin? And I was like, yeah. And let's take it hot. Like, let's do a high fade. Like, fade it up pretty high. I want to, I just want to feel what it's like. And so he was shaving the back of my head. And like, he went pretty high, like up almost to the occipital ridge, which if, if anyone took the human connection workshop this past weekend, you would know what the occipital ridge is because we gave a little bit of love to that area with our partners. And thank you for everyone who attended because it was very fun. So he went up and over my occipital ridge. And I was like, holy fuck, that's really high. And then I was feeling back there and I was like, man, I wonder what would happen if he shaved it a lot higher. And then I had no hair back there in June when I went in to see Alex and got a big fucking tattoo on the back of my skull. Babe! (laughs) Ah, I think I might do it. Babe, I thought you that is like 
what would you put back there? Just a pair, just an owl face, the face of an owl. Uh, you know what? <laughs> that actually would be fucking cool, but no, that's a little bit too. I don't want to be accused of, uh, of, uh, like a, what is it? Voldemort. Moloch, the, 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 uh, oh, it's conspiracy theory. God, that all the, all the, elitist, okay. all the elitists, like, you know, the Clintons are really big on, on, I think it's Moloch. Anyway, whatever. No, I, okay. I was, but I was thinking a giant moth. Mm. Like a huge traditional style moth. Really. I don't know why. Colors. Yeah. But I have the impulse to, to do a, like a tongue click, like your mom would. That's what she does. What will they think of next? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's a big commitment. Hate, you know who will hate that fucking tattoo? Your nan? My dad. My nan. My, oh. nan, my nan will be like, oh. I, I think my nan Did would be Did you do something like, different with oh. your hair? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's just very serious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's a fucking commitment, babe. It's a big one. Yeah. Your head? Yep. Is that, that's the other side of your face. It, it's, I'm going to put a face on the back side of my face. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, that's a really, thanks for sharing that about body confidence. I, I, I like, I know we kind of talk about this a lot and, and we've been talking about it a little bit too, because of my sickness. And I'm sorry to say that my, um, my skin's starting to flare up again. Um, oh, fuck really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. A little bit. So, so I'm waiting till Friday and then I'm going to take the big, na- the big, methotrexate drug. Um, oh, wow. So you're going to do and it. And like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I just like, I can't, you know, I can't handle, I can't go through that again. Um, I got to do what I can to nip it in the bud because like, I just don't. Oh, no, no, I'm here. I just oh, switched the camera. I just switched the camera. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden she was all by herself. Um, yeah. I can't go through that again. Also like, I just like, I hear you on the body confidence stuff. I kind of, you know, I've been on this like really strict regimen of like, um, you know, the, the health professionals in my life were like, keep doing what you're doing. You know, let's like address this, like maybe leaky gut situation that you have. And so I've been doing a really great job. And then this weekend I went away to a, a beautiful cabin to prepare. I have this like side hustle um, where I'm, I'm cooking for my sister. She doesn't like to, she doesn't like to cook. So she's, she's recording an album this week in Nova Scotia. And I went out to the place where she's staying and I cooked for, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. I cooked for 12 hours straight without sitting down. I felt like oh my God, dude. it felt, it, it was like old school waitressing days. Like for my body. Sh- chefs don't even work that long. Don't do they? I just kind of, I got going and then it was like, one in the morning and i was like might as well finish were you listening to podcasts or anything like do you have anything to get you by or what were you i did not listen to a thing except the chattering of my own thoughts (laughs) oh my god i know it was bananas um i did listen to some music actually let me plug this i've been meaning to plug this for a bit um i sent it out to our patrons already but um i've been listening to this playlist that i'd like totally love. Um, the name of the playlist is called EP21, EP, and then like a little comma or apostrophe rather. And then one, uh, one, 21, 21, two, one. Um, and it was sent out by Esther Perel, actually. Um, her son oh, yeah. curated it. You yeah. Were, you were and it's um, at your house when I was there. Uh, yeah. 
uh, for for while we were doing some work once. It was cool. It yeah, was very, very like worldly, worldly. Exactly. Sort of. Yeah, it was fucking nice. I liked it. Yeah, I think the the like description of the podcast is or the the playlist is a hundred songs from all over the world from mm. 1965 to like current day. Anyway, her son curated it for his for her. Um and I just love it because it just like speaks to, you know, when I listen to Esther Perel or I listen to Brene Brown and they have these like kids that are, you know, in their twenties or whatever. And just like I like hearing how they kind of keep in touch with their kids and mm. how they keep like connected to what they're doing. So anyway, I've been loving this music. It's got all kinds of great, um, great sounds on there. So I, I did listen to that for a bit. Um, I've been really missing singing. So I've been like trying to get back to like some, some other music that I can sing along to. So I played a little Phoebe Bridgers and mm. played a, a few, few of my, my favorite songs to like really sing along to. Um, but yeah, mostly I was just listening to the chatter of my own thoughts. I smoked a little bit of weed, which like just makes it almost impossible for me to listen to anything with like any kind of focus. <laughs> yeah. So I was just, yeah. I was just dancing and grooving and thinking about my sister enjoying this food. And anyway, I totally let my, my red regiment slip and was eating all kinds of stuff I haven't in a while. And then my skin flared up and I also like, was going on a little sleep and I'm now I'm feeling like I fucked up. Like I did this now that my skin's, you know, kind of coming back up and I'm thinking about our conversations with Kenzie and thinking about other conversations we've had about body confidence and, and that relationship to the body of like, it's me against my body or like, right. why is my body attacking me? Um, and, and, old like trigger warning thoughts of like, you know, control based diet mm. body stuff. Um, so all that swimming around in my, in my psyche as I try to wrangle myself back into a place of like where I was on Sunday with all of you folks that joined us for that workshop, which is just like, I am in my body. Yeah. I am like, I have this vehicle. Yeah. Um, and it does feel yeah, good to I'm, do things to, to feel in your body. You know, it, it's, like, it's interesting how much like we probably, you and I probably take that for granted. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, totally. You know, we had like we had 20. Yeah. I was going to say we had some feedback from people that attended the workshop. And again, if you want to attend it, um, you can click the link in, our, it, it, it's already happened. It's, it, you know, it was live, but it still exists. So if you, if you want to gain access to the, the, the workshop, you can still register, uh, and, and watch the video at your own, uh, on your own time. And, uh, you can do that through the link in our bio in our Instagram or my own personal Instagram at Jeremy Saunders or Bridie's personal Instagram at Bridie McLean, um, or the show notes that have been even the show notes for this episode, I'm sure. We'll just put it in there too. Um, so the recording will be available through that link? I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So that exists okay. there. For anyone who like fucking missed it or it just didn't work out, you can still you can still get tickets to own that recording and do that work whenever you like. And uh, it was such a hit that, well, I mean, I can't imagine how we wouldn't do that again in the future. So so Jeremy, just to be just to be clear, so people can still go in and purchase tickets for that and then they get the yep. recording. Yep. That's Amazing. It. 
That's so great to hear. Um, Well then, on that note, uh, we're absolutely going to do it again. And we also got a lot of requests for um, just attending solo, which it wasn't designed for, Mm -hmm. but there is something to that. And so I think there'll be um, uh, an additional component that maybe we'll add to the the cycle of of offerings where where maybe we'll do a little solo play. Yeah, totally. well, uh, I, speaking of all of this, um, and you know, like just learning about ourselves and the way it was, we tick, we are going to get into such a fucking awesome conversation, uh, today all about sexual education. But before we do, there's a little, uh, I, I guess we could call it a brain boner, uh, a little sort of anecdote that came in through our email. And uh, this is this is throwing back to the eargasm discussion that we had, <laughs> we've had uh, over the over the past couple of months here on the show. <clears throat> um, so this is coming from M. I'm not sure if we can say their name, so I'm just going to uh, just say. Oh, actually, actually, it's uh, Gossip Gee is the name. So Gossip Gee. Love it. Uh, Eargasm anecdote. I've been going down the rabbit hole with you guys on the eargasm thing. <clears throat> I feel. Do we need to give a refresher for people who don't know what the fucking eargasm thing is? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, if, if this is the first episode that yeah. you've turned tuned into, yeah, just I mean, we just we just have an ongoing conversation about whether you can have an a, a, an eargasm and an orgasm through stimulation of the ears or basically what is going on for some people when they are putting things in their ears or whatever. Some, and yeah, it, and yeah. it's tingling. We've, we've sending heard, messages down there. That's right. We've heard some folks for some, from some folks that get a tingle in their dingle when they, when they kind of wiggle inside the ear hole. So, uh, I've been going down the rabbit hole with you guys on this eargasm thing. I have my own experience that may help explain and give color to the ear pleasure phenomenon. I understand the Q-tip thing or the desire to feel full or filled up or the pleasure of insertion, but for me, it's different. Mine happened by accident. My anxiety causes negative and intrusive thought loops at night, and I struggle to fall asleep. One coping mechanism is to listen to ASMR while falling asleep. Jer or Bridey, uh, a quick Google search will show the definition and experience of ASMR, Wikipedia. So for people who don't know what ASMR is, I, I, I'm not going off the definition here, but the, everything that, from what my knowledge is that it's a, ASMR is like a, is a, a, a lane that you can go down on things like YouTube or podcast, like certain audio platforms where it's people using very soft whispers and sort of like, um, making noise through very gentle, soft noises. So whether that's like clinking nails on glass or whispering into the microphone or things like that. And it's like, it's meant to stimulate. Well, can you look up what ASMR stands for, Brady? I think it's like auto... Autonomous. Autonomous. Yeah, say it. Autonomous sensory meridian response. Right. And so this response that people receive from hearing these sounds is almost akin to like a, like a, like an, 
like a relaxation orgasm. At least like that's the way that I that I can like try to describe it in my own words. It's like this this super pleasurable response. Not not inherently sexual. It isn't it doesn't it's not like it's not necessarily directly linked to like sexuality. Although I think mm-hmm. it can be for some people, but it's like it's 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 not se- it's not a sex thing. It's like a uh, it's like this like it, it, like internal pleasurable feeling of like r- relax. Shall I read to you what, what it what it says in in Wikipedia? Because it's kind of uh, yeah. Go for I, it. You, you you go for that, and then we'll we'll, we'll continue uh, where uh, where where Gossip Key left off. Okay, right. So uh, ASMR for short autosensory. Autosensory meridian response is a tingling sensation that typically begins on the scalp and moves down the back of the neck and upper spine. A pleasant form of paresthesia, and uh, it has been compared with with other things, blah, blah, blah. A low-grade... ASMR signifies the subjective experience of low-grade euphoria characterized by a combination of positive feelings and a distinct static-like tingling sensation on the skin. Low grade euphoria. That's a that's a great mm-hmm. that's a great uh, way of describing it. I'm going to mm-hmm. try to keep that in my back pocket. Okay, so continuing where where uh, where gossip Gilan left off here. Some people hate the sound and feeling, but it helps me to relax or concentrate. Anyway, <clears throat> another technique for dealing with my anxiety is rubbing one out before bed. Now you see where I'm going on this. You see where I'm going with this. On a particularly bad night for my anxiety, I combined these coping mechanisms and the result was intense pleasure. The ear tingles, as they are called in ASMR world, amped up the pleasure I felt in my orgasm. Since then, I've listened to ASMR to intensify my self-pleasure or while watching porn. I've never been interested in listening to the audio of porn video. The performative sounds feel fake and inauthentic to me, which is a turnoff. I haven't looked into it, but I bet there are ASMR videos in the style of jerk-off instruction for people with penises with sounds that tickle, tickles slash pleasures your ear holes at the same time. I hope my eargasm ASMR story helps us get to the bottom of this eargasm query. Um, super interesting. And again, like I was saying earlier, it's like it's not ASMR isn't a sexual thing, but I could totally see how incorporating it into your sex play would like, you know, add to that, I guess, that sensation. Um, Personally, I fucking hate ASMR. It makes me it gives me the opposite of low grade euphoria. It gives me it makes my neck hurt. I didn't realize that when I and when I pitched to you that we add we add a new opening to the show that's ASMR based and you were like fuck I was so, no I, I was, was so really pissed. surprised yeah I was pissed <laughs> <laughs> I was like I was like fuck that it it really makes me uncomfortable like it makes me it's crazy it's it, it, I think it I think it probably stems from my um I have I think I have like low grade misophonia can you look up the definition of misophonia yeah, I have like totally. I have a I have a problem with with I have a problem with sounds like I, and, and the, the one example that I'll use is like my dad <laughs> eating anything. My dad eating anything is fucking grating to anyone's ears. When my dad eats remember, grapes. Oh, remember the sound of Jesus fucking Christ. Big B licking his balls. 
Yeah. I mean, so Big B, like it wasn't, I didn't get the same feeling that I get with my dad eating that I did with Big B and his noises. That was just, it was just like, Jesus, dude, fucking quit. Like with Big B, it was like, can you quit it? Like it's, I get it. I get it. With my dad, it's like, I will, I will punch your teeth in. Like it's like a, it's like a, it's crazy. It's like a really deep, like, like, like almost fear based, like, fight or flight response where it's like, I, this sound is making me want to literally, literally rip my eyeballs out of my own face just so I can feel something other than this, you know, like it's like a, it's like a total, it's like an internal panic. It's fucked. Read misophonia. Mm -hmm. I want to know what the, what, what the definition is. Misophonia is a disorder in which certain sounds trigger emotional or physiological responses that some might perceive as unreasonable. Yeah, given that's the it. Circumstances. <laughs> that's it. One hundred percent. Yeah. So I think ASMR. I think ASMR kind of like kind of gives me a little bit of the misophonia vibes, where I'm just like, oh Jesus, fuck ah ah. Here's the question. You know, when you when you Google something, and it's like people also ask. Um, is misophonia a mental illness? Um, it, 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 I'm not going to read the whole response, but it says misophonia is a real disorder and one that seriously compromises functioning, socializing, and ultimately mental health. Um, misophonia usually appears around age 12 and likely affects more people than we realize. Yeah. And then it goes, is it, you know, what causes a person? Why do I get so angry when I hear chewing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, misophonia like, when life's noises drive you mad. Yeah, I, it's like what I say. I have I I probably have like low key misophonia because I'm sure there's somebody out there. Like, think I, I watched a video once where it was like someone trying to describe misophonia, and the example mm-hmm. they used was like, just imagine that for some reason, the sound of utensils clinking on plates or bowls or whatever drove you mad. Like imagine (gasps) that was the thing that drove you mad. And then they were Mm -hmm. like, now imagine what it feels like to just be in a busy restaurant. Yeah. That's all you fucking hear. So if that's the noise that makes you go mad and you're in a restaurant and you are going into full panic mode, like that would, man, that would fucking suck. If my dad's eating grapes in the very least, I can fucking Leave the room. Go. Yeah, I can just go. And it's not going to like affect my fucking day. I'll just leave, you know? Whereas like if you can't even have an outing because, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever the noise is that like really, really grates you or like makes you kind of freak out, I, I, that would be really, that would be, that would totally be a, uh, you know, a disorder that would alter the, the quality of your life, you know? Yeah. What if, what if you were really, I hate the sound of people kissing on screen. Oh I just, yeah, dude. Oh, I hate that oh, so much. Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Ew, so don't do that. <laughs> oh, but but why is it okay? It's not that gross when you're when you're making the noise, right? Like that isn't that so funny? Yeah. Unless you yeah. think unless you're thinking about it. When you start thinking about it, then you're like, oh fuck, what why? Oh, what? oh God. Why is it? Yeah. Uh, now everyone sloppy now, sound. That's it. Now everyone, <laughs> everyone now is just going to be thinking about that next time they make out with their. And that's their how Bridie and Jeremy destroyed kissing for all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah. Anyway, thank you, uh, Gielin, there for for firing that off to us. Uh, fucking loved reading that email and uh, was really, really into hearing about your, even though I hate ASMR, really loved hearing about your 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 discovery of how ASMR makes your time of rubbing one out that much more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Do you want to intro this week's episode, Brad? Yeah, I would love to. Um, so I, I learned so much from this conversation with Carrie Isham. Carrie is a uh, um, self-proclaimed, mm-hmm, um, what did I, what do, what did she proclaim? A child safety champion. Right. Uh, Carrie is a sexual health educator for parents, educators, and most importantly, kids from ages two and up. And she works in British Columbia uh, in Nanaimo. Um, and she is doing a really, really cool thing with uh, with her business and with her site, which is powerupeducation.com. If you have kids or if you know kids, uh, if you, you are going to be left changed, I think, by this conversation. Um, I definitely have not stopped thinking about what my responsibility is now as an auntie um, Mm -hmm. of many children. I think I have now, I'm up at like 13 or 14 nieces and nephews. I can't keep track, but um, they're all different ages. And when she breaks down what she covers, starting at age two and moving up and the impacts that that has on um, these these children's lives. And, And no doubt the parents too, who like, struggle to find the words or whether, whether the teachers are struggling or Mm. whether it's just not that person's place to deliver this kind of information, you will find an incredible teacher in Carrie Isham. And she's got lots of resources Mm. on her site, workshops, really cool content. I know that parents have been teaching their kids from home for the last year. So maybe this isn't something that you can take on or tackle, but I definitely encourage you to listen to this with wide open ears and think just about what a different world we could be living in if we start educating our young people and ourselves with this kind of information. Like I just, what a cascade of effects that would have on the, on the world. Yeah. Really important conversation. Uh, we hope you enjoy it and, uh, thanks for, thanks for hanging out with us and, uh, we'll, we'll see you on the other side of it. It's yeah, like I said, it's really great to have you here because one of the things that's been um, we've been doing this podcast for four years, and when we first started, it was uh, sort of a quest for our own, like a redo of our own sexual education. Mm-hmm. Being you know early thirties folks who um, are a very much a product of like how we were raised, and I was wondering if before we jump into to what. Uh, to what you have devised and what you have created, um, if you could give us some context of what out what was our sex education when you know back in junior high, elementary school, and high school, where where 
where are we sort of coming from as we approach reapproach this? Well, I think one of the reasons I became a sexual health educator was because I did not get what I needed and what I wanted or desired. And lucky for me, I had a mother who had a few select books on the bookshelf um, that I read front to back and back to front. And um, I know for sure I got sexual health in grade five because I found this very crazy pamphlet on stretching activities and the belt for the pads. And I I never had to use the belt, but that was in the book. So the book was much older than, you know, the date that they were delivering it. And um, I, I kept that in a file folder, um, an accordion file folder that my mom got me to do every year. So I had my report cards and special things. And so when I was looking in my grade five folder, when my daughter was in grade five, kind of sharing with her, because I did the same thing with her, sharing with her, I was just killing myself laughing because I just thought, wow, is this all we got? And I remember nothing in high school. I And I know for a fact that there were some decisions that I made as a young adult that I probably would have made differently if I had had more information. And there were things that were humiliating or degrading or embarrassing, you know, doctor checkups and this for, you know, an STI that I didn't even know I had at the time, um, didn't even know I could get at the time. Um, So I think uh, from my perspective, we got very little. We didn't have the internet growing up. So it wasn't a matter of checking. It was a matter of, you know, finding out maybe if our parents had a Playboy or a Playgirl magazine available to mm-hmm. have a look in there, but it was really limited. I, can I, can I um, ask a quick question here? Uh, sure. Just because I've never heard this, uh, this phrase used before. What, what is it? What is a belt for pads? What is So prior to the sticky substance on the bottom of pads, Uh, people actually had to wear a belt. And so it went around the waist and attached the pad to the body. And then you put pulled your underwear up. So my mom used those, but I did not use those. But yeah, that's prior to the excellent invention of having a pad stick to your underwear. Right. Wow. I had no idea. That makes it makes a lot of sense. Okay, cool. There's there's some sexual education for myself right there. Yeah, we've come a long yeah. way from the, from there to diva cups. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I I mean, <clears throat> I I want to. I also kind of want to just comment on. Um, I I feel like I I also in hearing you speak there, Carrie. I, I was kind of thinking like, do, do I remember any kind of sexual education that I received in high school? And I don't think I do. I I, I do remember. I have two memories of sexual education. One is with my mom sitting next to me on my bed when I was very young and she attempted to read me a book. I think she did read me the book, but I, um, out of just like sheer unimaginable embarrassment, blocked out that entire uh, uh, experience and uh, I don't think a single ounce of it stuck. And then, and then fast forward, maybe like a few years, I remember, I just have this vague memory of being in junior high and having like a health ed class where we, we were going to like touch on sexuality as a unit and it being a total like 
total joke fest with the entire class. And the only thing I remember is, is talking about ejaculate and the amount of ejaculate that comes from, uh, at the time the wording was, comes from a man versus the amount of ejaculate that comes from a woman and, and scratching my head going, I don't think that's possible. And that's about, that's, that's about it. Like that's my, that's the extent of my, of what I, or I guess you could also include me finding a, a plastic bag full of like penthouse magazines in the woods with my, with my friends when I was a kid. And like, that's pretty much it. I was like, that was as much as I received. And again, like you said, like, I don't think I got what I, what I wanted out of that. I don't think I received what I should have or could have. And I do wonder how that would have shaped or shifted the way that I came into my own as I, as I got older. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things that I, I think about a lot, especially doing this podcast. Hearing you put that to those pieces together, Jeremy, it's like a very similar sort of patchwork quilt of like sex ed in elementary school, um, where the boys went to one room and the girls went to the other. And mm. we talked about anatomy and periods, um, and puberty, body hair. I don't know what the boys talked about. And then, and then I remember like someone, someone using the word virgin in a TV show and asking my stepmom to explain that. And she was like, you'll know when you're older. So I went to my dictionary and that began the great, my great love of dictionaries, um, being able to find what I could find in there and telling all of my friends. Mm. And then, and then this other piece, which was in junior high, um, and a lot of the sex ed that we were getting was from our peers. And a lot of it was gossip based about, you know, oftentimes like particular teachers, male teachers being inappropriate and how to protect yourself from that. It's sort of like not really in like a we need to be vigilant, but like that that also it just infiltrated what I understood about sex and sexuality. Mm. And so I, I remember just being very afraid of getting sick, um, getting pregnant um, and just it being easier to just, just, just do other things. I was a theater nerd and a band nerd. So it was like, we, I just closed myself in, into my extracurriculars and, panicked anytime I, I had a, a boyfriend that wanted to, to like go somewhere, whether it was like holding hands to kissing, to like making out to like the, the horrifying idea of having <coughs> to give someone a blowjob. So I guess that gives us now a little, we've given our, our, our context from, from where we're coming from. Um, you describe yourself as a, as a child safety champion. I picked that out on the, on the internet and could you could you give us a sense of of how you you identified that in yourself and how long you've been sort of working to to help kids be safe well I think um I started teaching sexual health 25 years ago and I left a full-time continuing teaching job with a pension and 106 days to venture out into the entrepreneur world and um, I think at the beginning, I had a very wide view on what I would be specializing in. And then that morphed and changed um, over, particularly over the last five years. 
with the specific demands of the community. So at the beginning, I didn't have any training in dealing with gender uh, non-conforming people or people who are transgender, but then I had to get training to do that because my students were presenting um, as a gender that was not male or female. Um, and then I got really clear on my um, focus of being a child safety champion about two years ago we actually revamped our entire business model. We hired a business coach and I got really clear on what, what my purpose was and why I'm on the planet, which is to help parents and daycare providers and preschool teachers uh, learn about sexual health education and sexual abuse prevention from mm. two and up. And so mm. I do a lot of workshops with the little people online with their parents uh, prior to COVID, I do a lot of workshops um, in person with the little people. And my business model is around, you know, being able to talk to kids about their bodies in the same way we would teach them to brush their teeth or to comb their hair. And for me, the reason this is so important to me is I also have a passion for working with the unhoused. And so my belief is if we funneled a ton of money and resources and time and energy into sexual abuse prevention, it would reduce um, homelessness as well, because mm. the majority of the people who are unhoused have had some sort of sexual trauma, if not like compounded complex trauma. And of course, the little people are so adorably cute and they give great hugs and mm -hmm. Um, I just, I have a lot of friends who have a really hard time with sexual intimacy with their partner. And uh, it often is stemming from uh, sexual trauma from childhood that's been unresolved um, or hasn't been dealt with. And so for me, learning about our bodies is a uh, human right. It's our birthright to understand how our bodies work and how other people's bodies work. And when we start from a very young age, it removes any sort of stigma or discomfort because <laughs> kids don't have the lens of, oh, this is inappropriate, or this is, you know, I should be ashamed about this, or this is shameful to talk about this. And mm. so, yeah, it, my mission in life, honestly, I, and I'm doing a ton of work in Indigenous communities right now, is to help people um, educate from generation to generation so that we can have healthier um, opportunities for our little people. Hmm. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Something you just said there that made me think about this for the very first time. I, Obviously, like I'm thinking, so again, I'm thinking about my mom sitting me down on the bed and reading me this book that, and you know, I, I think I, I remember like a picture of a, a cartoon man with, with pubes. And like, that was the, I was like, nah, I'm out. This is, I'm done. I'm not going to listen anymore. Um, but, but thinking about my mom in that situation, in that scenario and, and thinking about like how, and I don't know, I haven't actually talked to her about it, but like how. I wonder how difficult that was for her. Um, and just hearing you explain the work that you do, it just made me think about how like, <clears throat> you know, the, we've heard so many people on uh, through talking to folks on this podcast about how a lot of, a lot of couples um, have a hard time communicating to each other when it comes to their own intimacy, their own, sexual desires or needs or, or past traumas and taking that and, and considering that when, when then trying to communicate to your own child about sexual intimacy and desires and needs and safety. And so I, I guess my, my, this is like a really long winded roundabout way of saying like out of the work that you do, what, you know, considering that these are inherently for a lot of people tough conversations to have with their kids, what are some tools that that parents should consider that maybe they 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 naturally aren't when setting themselves up for success in 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 terms of having these types of conversations with their kids? Well, I think um, it is sort of imperative for all of us to work on our own trauma, sexual Mm. trauma. And most of us have something. I mean, it sounded like it was traumatic for you having that conversation with your mom, right? So trauma is in the eye of the, you know, the beholder, this something maybe that would happen to me, the same thing that happened to you, I could roll it off my back and it not be a big deal. I think there's a lot of uh, learning opportunities for parents through uh, reading books, um, I have some really great resource um, lists on my website in my shop under free resources under powerupeducation.com. So that would be a great place to start um, to get some book ref- like recommendations. And then often in the work that I do personally, I get hired by an organization and then we put it on Eventbrite. So it becomes 
um, an internationally open event. So on April 15th, I'm doing a workshop, uh, PDT time 6.30 to 8.30 on how to talk to children and youth about pornography. And that's sponsored mm. by the Campbell River uh, District Teachers Association. And so we've just put it on an Eventbrite and we, we have not all of the continents are represented, but we have definitely people signed up from Australia, from Europe, which is really exciting for me because prior to COVID, I was kind of BC, Canada based. Um, and so it really is up to parents. We're in a very fast changing world because of the internet and all of the uh, social media apps. So it's really important that parents stay ahead of the curve so that they're not, I sort of, it's like, feels like they're running, like sprinting a marathon to keep up with their young people. And I want to put out a shout out. I have a friend in Seattle, his name's Joe Langford, and he has this incredible podcast. It's called App Appropriate. It's A-P-P-R-O-P-R-A-T-E. And um, what he does, he's taken all the social media apps and he does a pros and cons list. So if a young person said, well, I think I really need TikTok and I'm 10 years old, the parent could go on, listen ahead of time and then choose to listen or not to listen with the child at 10 and say, well, mm. these are the reasons that I want it. Okay, that makes sense. These are the reasons that I feel that 10 is too young. Um, I really feel that social media should be delayed as long as humanly possible because it really does play into people's body image, self-esteem, um, you know, uh, increased, you know, time online means increased time, potentially sexting with other people, getting into, you know, chat rooms with strangers that you think are your age, but they're actually, you know, 40 year old people. Um, so it really is up to parents. And I, I often feel that out of self-protection that par some parents have their head very deeply planted in the sand. And right now we really need to firmly pull our head out of the sand because if we mm. don't, our kids are very high risk for sexual exploitation. Mm. It seems to me like that is an easier uh, mission <clears throat> than getting into the system and like changing the education system and having to then channel filter through the policymakers and the teachers mm. and their level of comfort. It's like, it seems like by going straight to the parent, it's the most direct, the most direct source. Yeah. And we, I mean, we, we want kids to be able to look and view their parents as their number one sexual health educator. And of course, for a variety of reasons, some parents don't want that role or aren't comfortable with the role, but really when you when you choose to have children, that is one of the roles, it's a pretty big role that you wanna establish when they're very young. So that as teenagers, when they get into some more challenging situations, like maybe they're in an abusive relationship or they get a sexually transmitted infection or you know an unplanned pregnancy, they really need to be able to go to the parents and say, I need your help. But it is unrealistic to think that a teenager is going to go to a parent who's never even had the puberty talk with them. They're going to go to their peers or they're mm. just going to go to a clinic by themselves, right? And have to fend for themselves, which is pretty lonely. <laughs> mm. Is there a formula for like, like, cause I, I, I recall you saying that these types of conversations uh, can start as young as two. So like, what, what is the, what is the formula for what's appropriate for what age and, and, mm -hmm. and, and like, what does that evolution of the conversation sort of look like from two to, to five to 10 to you know mm -hmm. 15? 
Well, on my website, um, under workshops, I do have things sort of laid out in terms of uh, BC curriculum, but it really is across the board. So starting with the little people, we talk to them about private body part names and safe and safe secret touch. Who are my trusted adults? Uh, the difference between private and public places. Uh, grade two, three, I cover. Uh, sometimes I do a review of that, depending if I've been in the school or not. Mm. We would talk about consent. We would talk about all families are different, which includes families who may have a transgender child, a, mm. a foster family, uh, adoptive family, all, all sorts of different families. And then we would also learn about the uh, reproductive system, how babies are made. This is my most controversial lesson of all times, which is interesting because um, in terms of pornography viewing for children, we have uh, the average age for boys first time uh, pornography viewing is nine. And so I want to, this is one of the many reasons I teach reproduction in grade two, three, I would prefer that they know in kindergarten prior to entering um, elementary school, just because it's a sexual abuse prevention tool, right? Being able to name your body parts, knowing that we don't keep secrets about our bodies, knowing that sexual intercourse is only for some teenagers and some adults, never for children. It just gives them a tool of, I report things when someone breaks the rules. And so I have <laughs> rules of touching for the little people that no one should touch their private parts unless it's for wiping, washing, or if they hurt themselves. We only kiss with our mouth closed when we're kids. And uh, sexual intercourse mm -hmm. is not for children. And if anybody tried to do that with us, then we would need to report it. Mm. When you get into the grade four fives, we need to talk about hygiene and consent and puberty. Uh, grade six and seven, we talk about healthy and unhealthy relationships, gender and sexual orientation. We talk about sexting. We talk about the impact of pornography viewing. Then grade eight, I talk about different relationship styles. So open relationships, polyamorous relationships, mm. um, Oh, uh, whatever, like friends with benefits, you know, hooking up all, all of these long term committed relationships. We look at sexually transmitted infections. Uh, grade nine, we do consent quite deeply. I have two different workshops I do. Grade 10, we may talk about gender and sexual orientation, uh, consent again. Um, yeah, how. Uh, drugs and alcohol impact decision making. Hmm. We would talk, uh, the, the curriculum ends in grade 11, but I do, sorry, in grade 10 in BC, um, but it really should be to grade 12. And in grade 11 and 12, when I do get to teach that, I talk about pornography, I talk about what is love, the abuse cycle, um, starting to talk to grade sevens and eights about um, gaslighting and things like that. So the, the spectrum of topics is very wide and most of the curriculum in Canada is pretty generic. So someone like me could pick one of the competencies and really kind of run with it however I wanted. Teachers in the school are a little bit more um, restricted, maybe in fear that they're going to get in trouble. But as a consultant, um, our curriculum in, in BC is from 2016. So we don't even have the word consent in our curriculum, and it's now five years old. And so nobody's going to say to me, never talk about consent, right, even though it's not in the curriculum. Um, but because the um, productive systems not in grade three, I do get some kickback from that. But I just don't go to those schools anymore, because I'm not willing to run uphill. Um, because if people knew what I knew about child safety, they wouldn't be questioning my motivation. Right. 
or the scaffolding of the lessons. Yeah, I guess that that makes me curious about, um, you know, the 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 state of sexual education in our country. So, you know, as you were talking about that, for a moment, I was going, holy shit. BC has it covered. Like I, I, if you have a kid move to BC, like that's where you need to be. But now I, now I understand that this is, this isn't, this isn't like across the board, what's being taught. This is really what's coming from you and your program. And, and so, so do you like, are you, is this kind of curriculum that, that you're talking about? Like the, the, the curriculum that you have developed, I mean, like how many schools are we talking about? Like how many, how many, how many groups are are getting this kind of um, <clears throat> in-depth, you know, focused education on all of these important things? And I guess as a two-part question, what is the state of sexual education in Canada? Because, I mean, uh, you know, we had a conversation recently with Justin Lay Miller from, from the Kinsey Institute. And from what we heard from him, you know, it seems like, it's still really, really horrifyingly lacking in North America specifically. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I will um, support that. Um, You know, really the sexual health education and I, and, and even though I haven't specifically read studies from all the provinces, I can tell you definitively, I've been doing this for 25 years, that it really is a hit and a miss it's about having a teacher that's passionate about teaching this. Um, it, it usually is the homeroom teacher, maybe the science teacher, maybe the phys ed teacher. We used to have this as a course. It used to be called physical and health education. And in 2016, it got combined with our PE program. So for me, um, my students, I feel like are getting a really solid program when I go into other schools that haven't had an outside provider like myself, there's a vast difference in maturity level, what topics we can talk about. Um, Because my students, some of my students I've taught for for nine years. And so Mm -hmm. one of my groups from um, a school district on Vancouver Island, I've had those kids from kindergarten to grade seven. So I don't have to review stuff. I don't have to check in if they are understanding if I'm using the term uterus or fallopian tube or ejaculate or semen. Like they they already know that because we've been talking about it since grade four. Um, But like most things, the further you get out from the larger city centers, the less sexual health education kids would get. And for me, I have a personal a professional mandate to specifically work in Indigenous communities as often as I can, and to work with kids on the autism spectrum, ASD, and to work, my top, top priority is to work with kids who have FASD, fetal alcohol syndrome, just because they, because of their brain injury, they are much more likely to um, engage in sexually risky behavior because mm-hmm. they don't have the cause and effect. They're very impulsive and compulsive. And so their chances of being in trouble with the law at some point in time would be quite high. So kids, you know, this is why we need the parents on board and we need the grandparents on board and the aunties and uncles, and we need the schools on board and we need the churches on board because kids should be hearing this information from a wide variety of people because it will help them to fill any gaps that, you know, were missed because 
in some schools, if sexual health happens on one day and you happen to be sick, you're out of luck for two years, right? Like you missed that year, you got it the year before, and then yeah, you're waiting. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And my high school students, I think, are getting less, much less than what they deserve. And of course, you cannot use what you remember from elementary school as a you know a high school student who may or may not be sexually uh, sharing their body with someone. So we have a long way to go, but I am encouraged by there's more and more people getting into the field of sexual health education, more and more uh, community nurses that are taking on that role if it's within their budget to do so and their mandate. But yeah, we, we're failing our kids. We are failing our kids miserably. And that is why for me, I have recorded all of my um, presentations so far, kindergarten to grade five. So parents who don't have sexual health in their school, they can download my my um, programs to be able to view at home. And I will, by the end of the summer, have a teen series, a six part teen series with consent, uh, sexting, uh, sexual harassment, healthy and unhealthy relationships, gender and sexual orientation. I can't remember the sixth one. I lost count there, but there's six different ones. And those ones are actually meant to view with an adult. So even if you're in grade 11 and you're watching the videos that you would have an adult with you to have a conversation during and after the video. Mm. I feel like I could, it would be so neat to like gather people when we can gather again and and have like viewing sessions like this but both like uh, Jeremy and I don't necessarily refer to ourselves as sex educators we're we just like to facilitate conversations for our audience so that they can hear what's out there but Mm. I love the idea of of both for myself you know longing for the education I could have had in grade 11 that would have prepared me well, the conversations I could have had all along that would have prepared me for who knows how, like I just, how, who knows how much my inexperience, my lack of knowledge has impacted me through, you know, my career through, you know, just like in so many different interactions and, and issues that have come up in, in my life. But I just love the idea of like getting my nieces together and, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. watching videos with them and, and having the opportunity to have the conversations with them because, I'm sure the things that would come from their minds now at a time, you know, I'm not 13 years old anymore. Like what, what is your world? What are you curious about? Mm. And, and I'm, I'm imagining I could learn so, so much more. Um, I'm wondering about your, um, your mentors or your inspirations. Um, who's, who's doing the work that you are inspired by? Yeah, there, there's lots of people. Um, well, I guess, why did I want to become a sexual health educator in the first place? I think it was, it started back in high school. I had a PE teacher, her name was Patty Dalton, and her and I were very close. And I remember speaking to her about like some, you know, relationship issues and things like that. Um, and I think, I mean, I never knew that I was going to become a sexual health educator. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like, I remember when I was 25 and teaching in my first grade seven class. And I saw that the curriculum was a human reproductive system. And I was like, and this is the days of the overhead projector people. Like I know some of your Mm. viewers, like listeners might not even know what that is, but it's like flipping up the, 
you know, male and female reproductive parts. And I remember standing in front of the mirror because I knew at that time, it's like, I really need to be able to say these words. I intuitively know that if I was laughing while I was saying penis, that this would be a problem for my students <laughs> because then they would be silly too. <laughs> so I think that the, the main people, so one of my mentors is Anita Roberts. Uh, she runs Safe Teen. It's an internationally known program for um, uh, violence prevention. Um, she takes quite a few um, calls and emails from me for different things um, because we face some of the same barriers to do the work that we are doing. Um, then there's um, <laughs> Kristen Gilbert with Options for Sexual Health was my teacher. Um, and uh, along with Joy Becker, uh, Joy Becker used to uh, be our educator as well until she um, was dealing with some health issues. And she specialized in working with kids on the spectrum as well. Um, there's so many, I, I think Joe Langford in Seattle, I, I'm inspired by his book writing and his apps. And he's just very current. Um, and he really supports, like he created a book um, for LGBTQ youth about puberty. And it's the only book that's specifically for that grouping of people. Cool. I think, you know, and I really, I'm very grateful for just teachers in general that will stick themselves out there and do lessons that they're uncomfortable doing, but they have been told by me that if they do them over and over and over again, so I'm talking about university students that I've taught that connect with me later and say, oh, this is how I did it. It went really well, or this really went very poorly. The parents didn't like it or, but they keep putting themselves out there because really as a teacher, if you can talk about relationships and you can talk about bodies and you can talk about vaginal discharge and puberty and erections, you really actually can talk about anything because mm. my, my premise with my little people and all the way up is we all have a body and we all have sexual parts with the function of urination, defecation, reproduction, but we also have them for pleasure or we like wouldn't have been born with them. So yeah, I guess I'm really, any anybody that's doing grassroots work that's um, you know going against the grain, just trying to get the work out there is, is amazing in my eyes. And I guess one other person would be my other mentor is Tracy Myers. Uh, she does a lot uh, in violence prevention and intimate partner violence. Um, she's in my um, area and just inspired by the work that she does because it's very challenging work as well. Mm. Um, you mentioned some of the, you just mentioned briefly barriers that you face in the work that you do. What I asked this question in a recent conversation too, it's like, who, what, who are, who is preventing you or what, what prevents you um, in your work from, from, just going all out there and saving, saving everybody. Um, and, and who, who benefits from you not being able to do that work? Well, I call these people, the gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. Um, it's usually upper management people in, um, positions of trust and authority, people who have access to funding people that can really, um, delay things. Um, I think the barriers come from personal shame. I think the barriers come from sexual trauma. Um, in my case, um, I am the person that shines light on the dark areas. And a lot of people don't want to talk about that. And so 
in a schooling environment, if I were to do that, which I've done, you know, for the last 13 years, is um, it's easier to get rid of someone like me than to work with someone like me, because a school district would have to say, you know what, we are not doing this well. They don't want to do that, because a lot of the time the premise is uh, teachers can teach anything um, and they they have been trained, like maybe one session, two sessions over their career. Uh, they're supposed to be able to do it, not really understanding that, you know, I don't want a trauma saturated individual to be delivering sexual health education. Mm. I don't want a teacher who feels so uncomfortable not to be able to say to her principal or administrator, I, I don't feel comfortable doing this. And I really need to switch off with someone. Hey, I'll do like an amazing art lesson, but I don't want to do the sexual health because it doesn't matter who does the delivery. It could be the principal, the counselor, the librarian. I, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's just, they're okay. They seem to be okay with not covering the curriculum because if they get rid of someone like me and I'm not continuously shining the light on the fact that we're not doing this, it's easier just to get rid of me, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. And this mm -hmm. has happened to me twice <laughs> in uh, two large school districts where it was easier to get rid of me than to deal with the magnitude of what was happening. But it puts tremendous strain on the administration and the counselors because they're dealing with stuff that we could have front loaded the kids with information so that they're not dealing with, oh, I sent a sexting photo. And now this person is telling me that if I don't send another one, then they're going to share with all my Instagram contacts. What do I, what do I do? <laughs> right. So, or, you know, sharing images um, with someone who's, you know, asked a, a student to create a PayPal account and send pictures of their feet because they're willing to pay for the images and then the feet become the breast, become the penis, become the vulva. And then now this kid is entrenched and they just wanted to make money. Mm -hmm. Some of my um, clients with special needs get into these kind of situations because they're not quite ready to get a job, but they want the independence and they want to be able to get their own things and they want to be able to have relationships and someone's paying attention to them. So it's, you know, it's sometimes it's been personal reasons. I think while people are gatekeeping, um, I often hear, oh, we don't have funding for that, um, which is not true. They have funding. It's a matter of prioritizing how the funding will be used. <laughs> right. When it comes to funding for anything sort of sexual relate sexually related, I, I know that there are barriers there, but it seems to me like the science must be there to prove the things you're talking about where education prevents, helps prevent, you know, sexual abuse. It's like, how can people can turn a blind eye to that? It seems so obvious. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I, you know, so, sometimes I don't, I don't even know how to answer these questions because clearly um, we teach kids about, you know, this is how you um, eat healthily. Um, we teach kids about, you know, the dangers of vaping. We teach kids about dental hygiene. We teach kids like about bullying and things like that. But then when it comes to sexual health, there, there's a whole nother level of discomfort for not just a few people. You know, I, I remember years ago, I had two kindergarten teachers in the same school 
um, meet with me. The, the lessons ended at recess or lunch. And so I had some one-on-one -on -one time with these teachers. And I remember they were both in tears. And they said to me, you don't understand how important these lessons are to us that you come to our school. And they both burst into tears because <coughs> I wish I had these lessons mm -hmm. when I was in kindergarten because they experienced their own sexual trauma. And, you know, a lot of the people in the world that are helpers, right? Uh, we've had things happen to us that we would like to prevent happening to other people. And we want to build community and relationships so that we can keep people safer in the world, more connected in the world. So it is um, today after doing this for so long, if I get any inkling that someone is going to give me a hard time or make me run uphill or convince them that what I do is important, I walk the other way. Mm. And I have a very, you know, I have a, a, a form that they have to fill out about what they're looking for. Um, and when I'm working with people who have children or youth with special needs, they have to watch a training video before they work with me because I'm the person that will, I'm going to advocate for a cud list for your teenager. If they don't get enough touch, I'm the person that's going to advocate for a clitoral vibrator for your 16 year old daughter with a vulva, because she may or may not partner with anyone else. I'm going to advocate for a sleeve for the penis so that masturbation can be a little bit more enjoyable for your son who has a penis, right? So mm -hmm. if, if they are like, no, that I am not, that is so weird, or I'm not doing that, then I don't work with them because I'm not here to convince people that people should be able to access pleasure throughout their life. Mm. How much of like, how much of this pushback or how much of the the like uphill battle, and, and maybe this is way too broad of a question, but how much of it do you think is like a, like, do you think it's a cultural issue? Do you think it's a political issue? Do you think it's a, a like? Probably all of the above. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, one day I may write a book um, and this is another conversation because it would be a podcast in itself, but mm -hmm. I've had some really weird things happen to me doing this job. Mm. Um, and I've had uh, to contact the police about uh, being harassed by someone um, in an organization because I was teaching about gender mm. um, because their belief that there was only two genders. And so, you know, pamphlets on my participants' cars and, and having somebody removed from property. And, but these things only fuel me more, even though at the time, like I, the level of devastation that I have experienced over the last 25 years, uh, the only person that knows the level, it would be my husband. Um, Cause he, we've been together for 13 years about how hard I've had to fight and advocate for something that is part of our mandated curriculum by the Ministry of Education. Mm. So I'm not advocating for more. I'm advocating for what they're supposed to be getting and then experiencing resistance on like a prolific level in certain areas. But I just don't work with those people anymore because yeah. I'm going to be 50 in May and to be quite honest, I don't have the time or energy to invest in um, convincing people <laughs> that sexual health is a human right. Mm. Like it's again uh, the the website for the work that you're doing, um, Power Up 
education.com. Uh, Carrie, this, I, I mean, I gotta say like you're doing, you are doing such, such valuable, important work. And, um, you know, that story of a couple of preschool teachers that are brought to tears, that doesn't surprise me one bit. Um, there is there, we have so far to go and to know that there's people like you out there doing the work that you're doing is, uh, makes me feel quite hopeful for for the future of all of our our younger generations that are that are coming up in this world. So uh uh on behalf of Bridie and myself, I want to say thank you for the work that you do, but also thank you for coming on here and shedding a, a little bit of light into the work that you do, the the struggles that you <clears throat> that you face in trying to push forward through the work that you do. And and for also just uh, giving our listeners um, a bit of a rundown on the resources that are available. Again, um, how can people find what it is that you're up to? Um, you said you have a, a workshop coming up about talking to children about uh, pornography. Get, give yourself a little plug because I'm sure there's some listeners that would love to know this stuff. Sure. Well, you can see behind me here on my bookshelf. So I have uh, written three books and co-authored a fourth. So my book for the little people is called Body Smart Right from the Start. It's an interactive uh, sexual abuse prevention workbook that I wish every little person in the world could have. Um, everything from, you know, private body part names, safe and safe secret touch, who are my trusted adults? Why don't we keep secrets? Then I have puberty coming to a body near you for grade three to grade seven, all puberty. And uh, then beyond puberty is grade six and up. And that has consent and sexual harassment and information about sexting and pornography and how to ask someone out, how to break up with someone. Mm. And then the fourth book is uh, with my friend and colleague, Lindsay Ford. She's with Bread and Clutter. And we wrote a book called The Things We Can't Unsee, How to Talk to Kids About Pornography. And that is for ages eight and up. The easiest way to find me other than my website that you mentioned is if People just Google Power Up Education Eventbrite. That actually shows all of my upcoming workshops from now until June. And I price my workshops at a very reasonable uh, rate because I'm trying to hit the masses rather than hitting the people that can afford the classes. Mm. And I offer sliding scale and I offer free classes to people. If the financial barrier is too great, then they just message me and uh, they would come for free. That Carrie, is awesome. Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to sit down and chat with us. It really You're meant, very meant, welcome. Meant a lot. And maybe I could interview you too, because I'm actually starting my own podcast in September. Oh, We're just in the planning stages. It's called Push Podcast, Power Up Sexual Health. And my main mandate is to interview people who are doing very edgy outside of the box work in sexual health. And so I'm pretty excited to be able to highlight my colleagues work because I have some people that are doing some incredible things, not able to really advertise necessarily on the side of their car like I do. Um, <laughs> and so for healing for the communities, these people are doing great work and I and I really want other people to know what, what's out there, what's available to them. Awesome. Well, Can't wait for that. Yeah, that sounds when great. When it starts up, if you need, if you need a couple of uh, couple of 30-somethings edgy podcasters. edgy podcasters that didn't get a good sexual education growing up, we would love to be a part of it. Great. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Carrie. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. 
And there we go. That was our episode with Carrie Isham. Hope you enjoyed it. So great. So great. And also such a bummer that none of us have received that kind of education. Um, mm-hmm. uh, also, uh, just a heads up, audio quality. I know that I know that most people don't give a fuck, but like any audio files out there, if you want to know what's going on, um, our audio, there was a little issue with recording our audio tracks. So I wasn't (laughs) able to, I wasn't able to isolate the tracks in order to mix my track versus Brady's track on the, on the intro to today's episode and this outro. Carrie's, Carrie's recording was great, but you might notice some quality difference uh, there. Anyway, whatever. I don't need to explain. Thanks for not throwing me under the bus, baby. It was all my fault, everyone. Okay. Well, uh, (laughs) all right. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in. We love you. uh, And we we appreciate you. And especially to our patrons who have the ability to watch our intros over at patreon.com slash turn me on. We love you. And, um, and if it wasn't for your support, whether you're listening or whether you're actually, uh, contributing with your cold, hard cash, uh, then, you know, we would have our time keeping this thing going. So we appreciate all the support that you give us, whatever that support is and whatever you're capable of giving, it really does mean the world to us. And, uh, if you want to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. Turn me on podcast at gmail.com. You can write into us about your ASMR porn adventures. You can write to us if you want to be on the show. You can write to us if you have a guest that you would love to see on the show. Uh, we are interested in any and all of that. Um, and we love hearing from you no matter what. Uh, turn me on podcast at gmail.com. Brady, why don't you tell right. them about our social media and where they can get the links to the Human Connection Workshop if they missed it this past weekend. If you missed the workshop this weekend, you can still purchase it through the link in our bio uh, on Instagram or through either of um, our personal Instagrams, at Jeremy Saunders or at Bridie McLean. Um, I believe you can still uh, find a link to it in the previous show notes. Maybe we'll throw it in this show notes for this one as well. Um, it is pre-recorded, so no longer live, but still accessible for at least a period of time. Go on over there and and uh, enjoy that with a friend, with a partner, with a loved one. Um, I think we got we got some great feedback. It was important work for a, a, a really unique time where we we need we need maybe some human connection more than ever. Um, our like I said, you can check those out on our social media. Um, and also while you're at it, if you're listening and you're you're thinking I, I really want to support these folks, but I can't quite contribute any cold hard cash right now. Another thing you can do is go over um, and rate, review and follow our podcasts wherever you get them. So that keeps us up there, keeps us relevant and easy to find for other people who are looking for this kind of information. That is it for this week. Until next week. Go love yourself. Okay. Was that it? Was that what we were saying? What What was it? Go touch yourself. Oh, touch yourself. Yeah, go touch yourself. <laughs>
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.